Chapter Six of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Six. Miss Wilson. Flooded as we have been in these latter days with copious discussion as to the admission of women to various offices, colleges, functions, and privileges, singularly little attention has been paid, by themselves at least, to the fact that in one highly important department of human affairs their cause is already gained gained in such a way as to deprive them largely of their ground formerly so substantial for complaining of the intolerance of man in america in england to-day it is no longer a question of their admission into the world of literature they are there in force they have been admitted with all the honors on a perfectly equal footing in america at least one feels tempted at moments to exclaim that they are in themselves the world of literature in germany and in france in this line of production their presence is less to be perceived to speak only of the latter country france has brought forth in the persons of madame de sevigne madame de stel and madame sand three female writers of the first rank without counting a hundred ladies to whom we owe charming memoirs and volumes of reminiscence but in the table of contents of the revue des du monde that epitome of the literary movement as regards everything at least but the famous doctrine in fiction of naturalism it is rare to encounter the name of a female contributor the covers of american and english periodicals tell a different story in these monthly joints of the ladder of fame the ladies stand as thick as on the staircase at a crowded evening party there are of course two points of view from which this free possession of the public ear may be considered as regards its effect upon the life of women and as regards its effect upon literature I hasten to add that I do not propose to consider either, and I touch on the general fact simply because the writer whose name I have placed at the head of these remarks happens to be a striking illustration of it. The work of Miss Constance Fenimore Wilson is an excellent example of the way the door stands open between the personal life of American women and the immeasurable world of print and what makes it so is the particular quality that this work happens to possess it breathes a spirit singularly and essentially conservative the sort of spirit which but for a special indication pointing the other way would in advance seem most to oppose itself to the introduction into the feminine lot of new and complicating elements Miss Wilson evidently thinks that lot sufficiently complicated, with the sensibilities which, even in primitive ages, women were acknowledged to possess. Fenced in by the old disabilities and prejudices, they seem to her to have been by their very nature only too much exposed, and it would never occur to her to lend her voice to the plea for further exposure for a revolution which should place her sex in the thick of the struggle for power. 
she sees it in preference surrounded certainly by plenty of doors and windows she has not i take it a love of bolts and oriental shutters but distinctly on the private side of that somewhat evasive and exceedingly shifting line which divides human affairs into the profane and the sacred such is the turn of mind of the author of rodman the keeper and east angels and if it has not prevented her from writing books from competing for the literary laurel this is a proof of the strength of the current which to-day carries both sexes alike to that mode of expression miss wilson's first productions were two collections of short tales published in eighteen seventy five and eighteen eighty and entitled respectively castle nowhere and rodman the keeper i may not profess an acquaintance with the former of these volumes but the latter is full of interesting artistic work miss wilson has done nothing better than the best pages in this succession of careful strenuous studies of certain aspects of life after the war in florida georgia and the carolinas as the fruit of a remarkable minuteness of observation and tenderness of feeling on the part of one who evidently did not glance and pass but lingered and analyzed they have a high value especially when regarded in the light of the voicelessness of the conquered and reconstructed south miss wilson strikes the reader as having a compassionate sense of this pathetic dumbness having perceived that no social revolution of equal magnitude had ever reflected itself so little in literature remained so unrecorded so unpainted and unsung she has attempted to give an impression of this circumstance among others and a sympathy altogether feminine has guided her pen she loves the whole region and no daughter of the land could have handled its peculiarities more indulgently or communicated to us more of the sense of close observation and intimate knowledge nevertheless it must be confessed that the picture on the whole is a picture of dreariness of impressions that may have been gathered in the course of lonely afternoon walks at the end of hot days when the sunset was wan on the edge of rice fields dismal swamps and other brackish inlets the author is to be congratulated in so far as such expeditions may have been the source of her singularly exact familiarity with the natural objects of the region including the negro of reality she knows every plant and flower every vague odor and sound the song and flight of every bird every tint of the sky and murmur of the forest and she has noted scientifically the dialect of the freedmen it is not too much to say that the negroes in rodman the keeper and in east angels are a careful philological study and that if miss wilson preceded uncle remus by a considerable interval she may have the credit of the initiative of having been the first to take their words straight from their lips no doubt that if in east angels as well as in the volume of tales the sadness of miss wilson's south is more striking than its high spirits 
This is owing somewhat to the author's taste in the way of subject and situation, and especially to her prelediction for cases of heroic sacrifice. Sacrifice sometimes unsuspected and always unappreciated. She is fond of irretrievable personal failures, of people who have had to give up even the memory of happiness, who love and suffer in silence and minister in secret to the happiness of those who look over their heads. She is interested in general in secret histories, in the inner life of the weak, the superfluous, the disappointed, the bereaved, the unmarried. She believes in personal renunciation, in its frequency as well as its beauty. It plays a prominent part in each of her novels, especially in the last two, and the interest of East Angels, at least, is largely owing to her success in having made an extreme case of the virtue in question credible to the reader. Is it because this element is weaker in Anne, which was published in 1882, that Anne strikes me as the least happily composed of the author's works? The early chapters are charming and full of promise, but the story wanders away from them, and the pledge is not taken up. The reader has built great hopes upon Tita, but Tita vanishes into the vague after putting him out of countenance by an infant marriage, an accident in regard to which, on the whole, throughout her stories, Miss Wilson shows perhaps an excessive indulgence. She likes the unmarried, as I have mentioned, but she likes marriages even better, and also sometimes hurries them forward in advance of the reader's exaction. The only complaint it would occur to me to make of East Angels is that Garda Thorne, whom we cannot think of as anything but a little girl, discounts the projects we have formed for her by marrying twice, and somehow the case is not bettered by the fact that nothing is more natural than that she should marry twice, unless it be that she should marry three times. We have perceived her, after all, from the first to be peculiarly adapted to a succession of pretty widowhoods. For the major has an idea, a little fantastic perhaps, but eminently definite. This idea is the secret effort of an elderly woman to appear really as young to her husband as, owing to peculiar circumstances, he believed her to be when he married her. Nature helps her. She happens to preserve, late in life, the look of comparative youth. And art helps nature, and her husband's illusions, fostered by failing health and a weakened brain, help them both, so that she is able to keep on the mask till his death, when she pulls it off with a passionate cry of relief, ventures at last, gives herself the luxury to be old. The sacrifice in this case has been the sacrifice of the maternal instinct, she having had a son, now a man grown, by a former marriage, who reappears after unsuccessful wanderings in far lands, and whom she may not permit herself openly to recognize. The sacrificial attitude is indeed repeated on the part of her stepdaughter, 
who, being at last taken into Madame Carroll's confidence, suffers the young man, a shabby, compromising, inglorious acquaintance, to pass for her lover, thereby discrediting herself almost fatally, till the situation is straightened out with the Reverend Frederick Owen, who has really been marked out by Providence for the character and who cannot explain on any comfortable hypothesis her relations with the mysterious bohemian miss woolson's women in general are capable of these refinements of devotion and exaltations of conscience and she has a singular talent for making our sympathies go with them the conception of Madame Carroll is highly ingenious and original, and the small stippled portrait has a real fascination. It is the first time that a woman has been represented as painting her face, dyeing her hair, and dressing young, out of tenderness for another. The effort usually has its source in tenderness for herself but Miss Wilson has done nothing of a neater execution than this fanciful figure of the little ringleted, white-frocked, falsely juvenile lady, who has the toilet-table of an actress and the conscience of a Puritan. The author likes a glamour, and by minute touches and gentle conciliatory arts she usually succeeds in producing a valid one. If I had more space, I should like to count over these cumulative strokes, in which a delicate manipulation of the real is mingled with an occasionally frank appeal to the romantic muse. But I can only mention two of the most obvious. One, the frequency of her reference to the Episcopal Church as an institution giving a tone to American life, the sort of tone which it is usually assumed that we must seek in civilizations more permeated with ecclesiasticism the other her fondness for family histories for the idea of perpetuation of race especially in the backward direction I hasten to add that there is nothing of the crudity of sectarianism in the former of these manifestations or of the dreariness of the purely genealogical passion in the latter. But, none the less, it is clear that Miss Wilson likes little country churches that are dedicated to saints, not vulgarized by too much notoriety, that are dressed with greenery, and would be with holly if there were any, at Christmas and Easter, that have rectors, well-connected, who are properly garmented, and organists slightly deformed if possible and addicted to playing gregorian chants in the twilight who are adequately artistic likes also generations that have a pleasant consciousness of a few warm generations behind them screening them in from too bleak a past from vulgar draughts in the rear I know not whether, for the most part, we are either so Anglican or so long descended as in Miss Wilson's pages we strike ourselves as being, but it is certain that as we read we protest but little against the soft impeachment. She represents us at least as we should like to be, and she does so with such discretion and taste that we have no fear of incurring ridicule by assent she has a high sense of the picturesque she cannot get on without a social atmosphere 
Once, I think, she has looked for these things in the wrong place. At the country boarding-house denominated Carol's in Anne, where there must have been flies and grease in the dining-room, and the ladies must have been overdressed. But, as a general thing, her quest is remarkably happy. She stays at home, and yet gives us a sense of being abroad. She has a remarkable faculty of making the new world seem ancient. She succeeds in representing Far Edgerly, the mountain village in For the Major, as bathed in the precious medium I speak of. Where is it meant to be, and where was the place that gave her the pattern of it? We gather vaguely, though there are no Negroes, that it is in the South, but this, after all, is a tolerably indefinite part of the United States. It is somewhere in the midst of forests, and yet it has as many idiosyncrasies as Mrs. Gaskell's Cranford, with added possibilities of the pathetic and the tragic. What new town is so composite? What composite town is so new? Miss Wilson anticipates these questions, that is, she prevents us from asking them. We swallow far edgerly whole, or say at most with a sigh, that if it couldn't have been like that, it certainly ought to have been. It is, however, in East Angels that she has been most successful in this feat of evoking a local tone, and this is a part of the general superiority of that very interesting work which to my mind represents a long stride of her talent and has more than the value of all else she has done in east angels the attempt to create an atmosphere has had to a considerable degree the benefit of the actual quality of things in the warm rank peninsula which she has studied so exhaustively and loves so well miss wilson found a tone in the air of florida but it is not too much to say that she has left it still more agreeably rich, converted it into a fine golden haze. Wonderful is the tact with which she has pressed it into the service of her story, draped the bare spots of the scene with it, and hung it there half as a curtain and half as a background. East Angels is a performance which does Miss Wilson the highest honor and if her talent is capable in another novel of making an advance equal to that represented by this work in relation to its predecessors she will have made a substantial contribution to our new literature of fiction long comprehensive copious still more elaborate than her other elaborations east angels presents the interest of a large and well-founded scheme the result is not flawless at every point, but the undertaking is of a fine high kind, and for the most part the effect produced is thoroughly worthy of it. The author has, in other words, proposed to give us the complete natural history, as it were, of a group of persons collected in a complicated relationship in a little winter city on a southern shore and she has expended on her subject stores of just observation and an infinite deal of the true historical spirit how much of this spirit and of artistic feeling there is in the book 
only an attentive perusal will reveal. The central situation is a very interesting one, and is triumphantly treated, but I confess that what is most substantial to me in the book is the writer's general conception of her task, her general attitude of watching life, waiting upon it and trying to catch it in the fact. I know not what theories she may hold in relation to all this business, to what camp or league she may belong. My impression indeed would be that she is perfectly free, that she considers that though camps and leagues may be useful organizations for looking for the truth, it is not in their own bosom that it is usually to be found. However this may be, it is striking that, artistically, she has had a fruitful instinct in seeing the novel as a picture of the actual, of the characteristic, a study of human types and passions, of the evolution of personal relations. In East Angels she has gone much farther in this direction than in either of her other novels. The book has, to my sense, two defects, which I may as well mention at once, two which are perhaps, however, but different faces of the same. One is that the group on which she has bent her lens strikes us as too detached, too isolated, too much on a desert island. Its different members go to and fro a good deal, to New York and to Europe, but they have a certain shipwrecked air, as of extreme dependence on each other, though surrounded with every convenience. The other fault is that the famous tender sentiment usurps among them a place even greater, perhaps, than that which it holds in life, great as the latter very admittedly is. I spoke just now of their complicated relationships, but the complications are almost exclusively the complications of love. Our impression is of sky and sand, the sky of azure, the sand of silver, and between them, conspicuous, immense, against the low horizon, the question of engagement and marriage. I must add that I do not mean to imply that this question is not, in the very nature of things, at any time and in any place immense, or that in a novel it should be expected to lose its magnitude. I take it indeed that on such a simple shore as Miss Wilson has described, love, with the passions that flow from it, is almost inevitably the subject, and that the perspective is not really false. It is not that the people are represented as hanging together by that cord to an abnormal degree, but that, there being few accessories and circumstances, there is no tangle and overgrowth to disguise the effect. It is a question of effect, but it is characteristic of the feminine, as distinguished from the masculine hand, that, in any portrait of a corner of human affairs, the particular effect produced in East Angels, that of what we used to call the love story, will be the dominant one. The love story is a composition in which the elements are distributed in a particular proportion, and every tale which contains a great deal of love has not necessarily a title to the name. That title depends not upon how much love there may be, but upon how little of other things. 
in novels by men other things are there to a greater or less degree and i therefore doubt whether a man may be said ever to have produced a work exactly belonging to the class in question in men's novels even of the simplest strain there are still other references and other explanations in women's when they are of the category to which i allude there are none but that one and there is certainly much to be said for it in east angels the sacrifice as all miss wilson's readers know is the great sacrifice of margaret harold who immolates herself there is no other word deliberately completely and repeatedly to a husband whose behaviour may as distinctly be held to have absolved her the problem was a very interesting one and worthy to challenge a superior talent that of making real and natural a transcendent exceptional act representing a case in which the sense of duty is raised to exaltation what makes margaret harold's behaviour exceptional and transcendent is that in order to render the barrier between herself and the man who loves her and whom she loves absolutely insurmountable she does her best to bring about his marriage endeavours to put another woman into the frame of mind to respond to him in the event possible as she is a woman whom he has once appeared to love of his attempting to console himself for a bitter failure the care the ingenuity the precautions the author has exhibited to make us accept mrs harold in her integrity are perceptible on every page and they leave us finally no alternative but to accept her she remains exalted but she remains at the same time thoroughly sound for it is not a simple question of cleverness of detail but a question of the larger sort of imagination and margaret harold would have halted considerably if her creator had not taken the supreme precaution of all and conceived her from the germ as capable of a certain heroism of clinging at the cost of a grave personal loss to an idea which she believes to be a high one and taking such a fancy to it that she endeavours to paint it by a refinement of magnanimity with still richer hues she is a picture not of a woman indulging in a great spasmodic flight or moral tour de force but of a nature bent upon looking at life from a high point of view an attitude in which there is nothing abnormal and which the author illustrates as it were by a test case she has drawn margaret with so close and firm and living a line that she seems to put us in the quandary if we repudiate her of denying that a woman may look at life from a high point of view she seems to say to us are there distinguished natures or are there not very well if there are that's what they can do they can try and provide for the happiness of others when they adore them even to their own injury and we feel that we wish to be the first to agree that there are distinguished natures garda thorne is the next best thing in the book to margaret and she is indeed equally good in this that she is conceived with an equal clearness 
but margaret produces her impression upon us by moving before us and doing certain things whereas garda is more explained or rather she explains herself more tells us more about herself she says somewhere or someone says of her that she doesn't narrate but in fact she does narrate a good deal for the purpose of making the reader understand her this the reader does very constantly and garda is a brilliant success i must not however touch upon the different parts of east angels because in a work of so much patience and conscience a single example carries us too far i will only add that in three places in especial the author has been so well inspired as to give a definite pledge of high accomplishment in the future one of these salient passages is the description of the closing days of mrs thorne the little starved yet ardent daughter of the puritans who has been condemned to spend her life in the land of the relaxed and who before she dies pours out her accumulations of bitterness relieves herself in a passionate confession of everything she has suffered and missed of how she has hated the very skies and fragrances of florida even when as a consistent christian thankful for every mercy she has pretended most to appreciate them mrs thorne is the pathetic tragic form of the type of which mrs stowe's miss ophelia was the comic in almost all of miss wilson's stories the new england woman is represented as regretting the wholesome austerities of the region of her birth she reverts to them in solemn hours even when like mrs thorne she may appear for a time to have been converted to mild winters remarkably fine is the account of the expedition undertaken by margaret harold and everett winthrop to look for lance in the forest when they believe him or his wife thinks there may be reason to believe him to have been lost and overtaken by a storm the picture of their paddling the boat by torchlight into the reaches of the river more or less smothered in the pestilent jungle with the personal drama in the unnatural place reaching an acute stage between them this whole episode is in a high degree vivid strange and powerful lastly miss wilson has risen altogether to the occasion in the scene in which margaret has it out as it were with everett winthrop parts from him and leaving him baffled and unsurpassably sore gives him the measure of her determination to accept the necessity of her fate these three episodes are not alike yet they have in the high finish of miss wilson's treatment of them a family resemblance moreover they all have the stamp which i spoke of at first the stamp of the author's conservative feeling the implication that for her the life of a woman is essentially an affair of private relations eighteen eighty seven End of chapter 6 Miss Wilson 